Um, and it's pretty pervasive in the church. You know, many people will use it because there's not, uh, because God's our healer, there obviously are not going to be many scriptures that might imply somehow vaguely that God may not be your healer because he is our healer. Uh, and so, uh, and there are no plain scriptures. I mean, uh, the, it's pretty plain when the Lord says, I am your healer, right? Uh, I am the Lord who healeth thee, uh, which has been said many times all the way back to Exodus fifteen twenty six. Uh, well, that's pretty plain. I am your healer. Uh, there's nothing that says, I am the one who makes you sick, right? There's no equ equivalent strong statement about God making us sick. And so uh, people will, will use these things. And usually what, where, where it starts is somebody who's got, you know, uh, they're mad at the church, mad at God or something about because uh, grandmother died of sickness or so-and-so died of sickness. And now they almost get on a crusade. But the problem with that is, they'll sweep up other people who are not as diligent about studying the word and will hear somebody say something and they'll just pick it up and just and go with it as if it's uh, an authoritative uh, statement. Uh, and, and it'll just sweep through a church, you know, and people will say crazy things like God wants you to be sick. Uh, uh, but it's a crazy word. I mean, those are crazy words, right? That people will say God wants you to be sick. Uh, and uh, well, you know, when, when God... And I told you I heard a Pentecostal minister one time said, when God decided not to heal my wife, like God looked down upon his wife who was ill and, and the mother of his children and made a decision in heaven. You know, I could, I'm just not going to. Like he made a decision to do that, right? Uh, and no reflection on his own part if there was any hindrance on, on either his life or his wife's life. And I'm not judging them. I don't know, you know, but, but no reflection that maybe there was something I did. Maybe it was something that he did. Maybe it was something that his wife did. Uh, that was a hindrance to the healing power of God. Not, you know, and I'm not saying there was. I'm just saying that, to, you know, uh, for me, uh, because I know that God is good, I never start from the standpoint, well, maybe God did this evil thing to me, uh, and, and it has nothing to do with me. Uh, I always start that if there, anything bad happens to me, then the first place I go to is me. Because even if it's not me, it could just be the devil, and I just, you know, blinked or something and didn't notice it or was unaware or, was not as diligent about something as I could have been. You know, it's not open sin, but just something, you know. But I always go to me first. Lord, uh, uh, did I miss it? Because I know you didn't miss it. And I know you didn't put sickness and disease on me. Uh, and, and to me, that should be a normal, active part of our Christian walk. And yet, that's pretty rare that people go to the mirror first and, and see, <clears throat> is there anything on my side, right? Did I say something? Did I do something? Um, and, um, you know, just like you were talking uh, before, uh, service to about uh, about your words you know have you been saying something you know well every time it gets cold you know i'm the first one to get sick you know every time the rains you know my my, my arthritis acts up right uh, and you know somewhere along the way uh, you know uh, you say well lord why didn't you heal why didn't you heal me of my arthritis and the lord said well i don't i don't take your possessions away from you that's what the lord would say right he doesn't, he's not a thief. He doesn't have to be a thief to take your uh, arthritis away, right? Uh, if it's your possession. And so, you know, and no doubt there had been many people who have called whatever sickness their sickness. And the Lord's like, I can't, you know, you, you, you put me into a corner. I cannot steal. I cannot take something away from you that belongs to you. Uh, and now, is that ever, that's obviously not the case for everybody. But, you know, uh, what are you saying, right? What are you doing? Uh, you know, it's a... 
Because a lot of times what people will do is they'll talk about how, how bad their sickness and disease is and on and on about all aspects of their sickness and disease. And the very last phrase they'll say, but God is good. But they spent 30 minutes talking about how bad the devil was and then five seconds maybe about how, God, how good God is. And, and um, you know, what's the balance in their life? It, it's 90% uh, giving glory to the devil and his work and 5% to the glory of God, you know, and that's being generous if they just say one phrase there. So, so uh, the, uh, to me, this, uh, this discussion about Paul's thorn in the flesh is not a difficult discussion. It's not, you know, what does it really mean? What do these verses mean? This is not one of, uh, I would not consider these verses to be hard to understand or hard to discern what they mean. Uh, in fact, I, I consider these pretty easy that, yeah, it's not immediately obvious, but a, a simple review of the other uh, locations of these same phrase should tell us that okay every single time without exception this phrase is used in the context of people uh, bringing harm into your life uh, and so let's just read these verses again here in second corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 it says unless i should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation so uh, does god not want his people ever to be exalted is god sometimes okay with people being exalted did he say in his word that he would exalt you, right? He said uh, over in Second Peter, right, to humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, and he will what? Exalt you. So who does the exalting? God does. So if he, so if he wants to exalt somebody, will he exalt somebody? Sure. So uh, if he doesn't want to exalt somebody, will he, would, will he throw sickness and disease on him to keep him? No, he, all he has to do is just not exalt him. I mean, why does he have to? Because the Bible says he will do the exalting. So if he's doing the exalting, even if he doesn't want somebody to be exalted, well, there's nothing I can do about it. They're going to be exalted unless I throw some sickness and disease on them. Is the Lord that powerless that he can't help? I mean, if he's the one exalting, can he just not exalt? Because, you know, the, the Lord will not exalt until we walk a, a life of humility. Uh, and so, uh, you know, now other people will exalt you, right? Oh, you're the best in the world. But that's not the Lord's doing, right? Uh, it, what the, oh, way back in, in Psalms, right? It says, if, uh, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that, that build it, right? So there's a lot of people building their own house and a lot of people uh, exalting themselves or getting other people to exalt them. But it, it's not the Lord's doing. But, but if it is the Lord's doing, then, it, then he gets to choose uh, what time and what place and what location, what, what, uh, what the uh, circumstances are for you to be exalted, Right? You know, back in the day uh, when Brother Hagen was ministering, uh, you know, Brother Hagen, uh, I was listening to him one time when he was talking about how uh, that uh, he was getting ready to hire, you know, a secretary and, and purchase some office space. And uh, at that time, he had been in the ministry for 30 years and he was still doing everything out of his own living room. He, you know, no, he didn't have a staff. He didn't have anybody helping him. It was just him and his wife you know, boxing up books and shipping out things. You know, people were ordering stuff from his ministry. And, uh, you know, he sensed it was time to, uh, to hire some people, right? And, and there's a long story. We won't go into all that about it. An angel even appeared to him and, and spoke to him about some wisdom uh, in relation to that. Uh, and, um, uh, and then sometime after that, the Lord instructed him to start Rainbow Bible Training Center. That was in the early 70s. I think the first class was in 1974. And, and and that's about the time that he started publishing his books and his cassette tapes. Because before that, he would publish reel-to-reel -reel tapes. I actually had um, uh, digitized some uh, 
of his, the five-inch reel-to-reel tapes, right? You remember those? You had to have a machine that was like this big. You had to put the roll on this one. You had to feed the little uh, tape through the, through the machine there and, and get it on the other tape and kind of spin up a few things and then push play. And then and it would spin, right? And at the end of it, it'd go, you know, it'd spin, you know. Uh, anybody remember the projectors when we were in school, right? Remember the film projectors, right? It was always somebody, if you got to be the one who fed the, you know, uh, the film projector from uh, through the whole thing, right? Uh, Jared doesn't even know what I'm talking about because they just push, they just push play, right? Well, you you couldn't you just used to push play. You had to wa- thread the thing through the whole machine there, right? Well, they did that with audio messages too, and he would produce his messages on five-inch reel-to-reel tapes, and and so and and somebody sent me some of those to digitize them and, and get them onto the computer. Uh, well, sometime after that. You know, Brother Hagin became really a world no, worldwide known minister. And people would come to him and say, Brother Hagin, I knew you when you were just preaching in these little churches. You know, you seem like you came out of nowhere. Uh, and, and, you know, from, from a natural standpoint, it probably did. But he was in the ministry 30 years unknown, right? I mean, he, the, you know, the circles that he walked in knew him. The, the churches that he would preach at would know him. But nobody really knew him. And even now, right, I mean, our circles know of him. But if you just go ask your average Christian, even your average Pentecostal Christian, you know, a lot of them won't know Brother Hagin. Uh, and, uh, and yet, you know, he produced it's probably 70, 80 million copies of his books and stuff around the world. Uh, and, um, you know, that's, that's nearly 70 or 80 million more than I've done so far, right? You know, I've done a few, but, um, uh, and so, but the Lord exalted him. Uh, it wasn't any of his doing because he was a very humble person. If you ever listened to him, he was, uh, uh, an exceedingly humble person, uh, and 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 that's really what allowed the Lord to to um, to advance His ministry, uh, and so it's the Lord that does the exalting. So why would the Lord, if He's the one doing exalting, can He just not exalt? I mean, does He have to? Uh, uh, I mean, if it doesn't make any sense, right? This whole thing just doesn't make any sense. Uh, God can just not exalt. You know, He doesn't have to give somebody a thorn in the flesh to prevent them from being exalted. Because you remember in the way back in, in uh, I think we read it there in, in Acts chapter 14, when they try to worship Paul and Barnabas, right? God, the uh, gods are among us now. And they, and they were going to make a sacrifice on Paul and Barnabas' behalf. And, and Paul, no, 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 you can't do that. See, men tried to exalt Paul and Barnabas, and, and Paul's like, no, you can't do that. No, we don't. Now, other people are like, you know, oh, I must be really important. They're, they just murdered a you know, cow on my behalf. Uh, and so... So, you know, just the beginning of verse 7 doesn't make any sense, right? If, if this is what people say, but it doesn't make any sense because God could just not exalt somebody, right? Because the, the, the reason to be exalted was because of the abundance of revelation. Well, who, gave the, who gave Paul the abundance, the abundance of revelation? Well, the Lord did. The, the, you know, can the Lord just not do that? I mean, he could have just not done that, right? Uh, uh, and so, but people think, you know, uh, they almost think of it as like yin and yang, right? Kind of the Oriental uh, philosophy that with all the good, there has to come some bad, right? Because everything has to be balanced out. Well, that's, that's foolishness, right? Number one, we don't live in yin and yang. We don't live uh, in, in Oriental philosophy. We live that uh, if God wants to exalt, it's all good, right? It's always all good, right? Uh, and so uh, the Bible says that he's given us all things richly to enjoy. Uh, and so... Uh, he doesn't give you all things richly to enjoy and then cause you to lose a leg to just keep you balanced, right? We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be 
too in, uh, full of enjoyment, right? No, he said he gives us all things richly to enjoy. Uh, and so, so the Lord is the one who does the exalting. The Lord is the one who gave the abundance of revelation. And so there was given to him a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. So now the Lord is reduced to using uh, Lucifer as his calling boy, right? Uh, because all the angels are booked up for the next few months and, and can't go down and, and, and take a message to Paul to, hey, Paul, be humble. I mean, is, that, is the Lord reduced to using Satan as his messenger? I mean, is it, isn't that what it said? The messenger of Satan, right? Uh, and so uh, we looked at a little bit that word messenger is often used in the context of angelic beings, uh, but it can be used in the context of people as well. Uh, and so, and we saw from the life of Jesus that uh, from, from Luke chapter four, where it says that the devil had left Jesus for a season, but he never came back to Jesus in that same form directly face to face with Jesus. Every time after that, when people, uh, came and persecuted Jesus or, or when, when an entity came to persecute Jesus, it was always uh, in the form of a person who was yielding to the devil uh, because Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. But all the time after Luke chapter four, that Jesus was persecuted, he was always persecuted by people who were being led by the devil. And in those cases, yielding to the devil. Uh, and so uh, and this lines up. And the reason why this is good, because it lines up with what we saw in the Old Testament, that this phrase, a thorn in the flesh, was always used in the context of people trying to bring harm into your life. Uh, and again, he repeats that the purpose of this uh, messenger of Satan is to keep him from being exalted above measure. And, and yet Paul had the greatest revelation of any of the apostles in the New Testament. Uh, I believe the other apostles could have had as great a revelation, but, you know, some of them were constrained because of their old thinking, old way of thinking. Well, you know, we can't we can't just forget everything from the Old Testament. And Paul's like, yeah, throw it all out. You know, we, I mean, we're not murdering uh, things anymore. We're not being circumcised anymore. Doesn't matter what you eat. Doesn't matter where you go. You can talk to a Gentile. You can talk to a Jew. Uh, just throw it all out. You know, we keep the good stuff of, of, of what this thing means. Uh, and then we, we go on from there. So um, so he, he went through um, uh, at the end of that verse there, lest I should be exalted by measure. So he just repeats himself there. Uh, and so uh, then verse eight, he says, for this thing, I, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So uh, if this was sickness and disease, then this is the first example where somebody came to Jesus with sickness and disease and Jesus turned them down permanently. Right now, the other every other time that somebody came to Jesus when he was in his earthly ministry uh, of all the times that people came to Jesus in the in his earthly ministry to uh, request assistance in sickness and disease, how did they leave? They left with, with, with healed, right? They left healed, right? And so, uh, so and, and that's 100% of the time. And the reason it's 100% of the time because the Lord is wanting to get a, the point across that if this happens every single time, then that's the, that's the doctrine of that, right? That's the doctrine of, uh, of looking at all these cases. And that's really what you can find just like with the, with the, the thorn in the flesh, if every single time this phrase in the, in the Old Testament is used in the context of people bringing harm into your life, then what's the Lord trying to get the point across when he uses that phrase in the New Testament? That it's also always talking about uh, people. And, and you can, you know, that's, a, that's generally, you know, is it, all, is it all the time that way? I, I don't know if it's all the time that way, but that's a generally a good uh, process to go through when you're studying the Word of God is how is this word used 
every other time. If it's always used in this context, then that's generally what the New Testament writers or the writers are trying to get the point across. Uh, and so, because we're going to look at that same concept here um, in the next verse. But, the, but he had asked the Lord three times. So really what he was asking the Lord in the context of this verse, he was asking the Lord to remove this persecution. And, you know, the Lord's not, uh, not obligated to remove the persecution, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he's worked for a couple of different folks. Uh, yeah, out, out of Orlando. Uh, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn. Yeah. But he was told no in this case, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you go through the, uh, the scriptures uh, in, in all the uh, deliverance cases, there's never an example where it, was where it took three times. Uh, I mean, that may be, you know, an observation that people make sometimes. That, and, and, yeah, yeah. From the scriptures, there's no, uh, because when Jesus did it, I mean, the only, the only example we have that he worked at it a little bit was the madman at Gadara, right? Where he had been saying to remove, you know, but of course that was a legion, right? Uh, and, you know, that was a little bit bigger. And that's the only time when Jesus asked the name of, of the, uh, the controlling spirit in that case. Uh, but there wasn't three times in, in, in particular there. Every other time it says he, they immediately were, were uh, delivered, right? Uh, and, that, and of course that doctrine got me in trouble when I was a teenager because I was involved in a lot of deliverance services back in the 80s, right? Anybody remember the 80s, right? Everything was a devil, right? Uh, and and uh, your washing machine broke, it was a devil. You know, your car blew up, it was a devil. Uh, well, I didn't put any gas in it, you know. Well, well, you know, well, that's not the devil, that's the gas pump, right? But everything was a devil, and, um, and I had been reading... Uh, especially the book of Mark. If you read the book of Mark, the book of Mark uses the word immediately a lot, you know, trying to emphasize the fact that these things were done uh, in an instant and not over time. Um, and I just made it, I said something to one of the adults. I said, why do y'all take so long to get people, uh, to get a devil cast out, you know? I said, Jesus did it and they always left. And, and they got offended because I asked a question, you know, and, and they never answered a question, you know, they just got offended and, and shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just a child. Well, I, I knew I was a child. That's why I was asking a question. I wasn't, I didn't know the answer. I just, you know, I just, I'm just, I'll read this and, and you guys, you know, I mean, I, it was hours, right? They'd work on somebody, you know, and until they threw up or spit up or, or uh, did something, you know, had some show on the outside, they weren't delivered. And, 
and it, a lot of it is just theater, you know. But um, uh, and so, uh, yes. Yeah. Right, so I'm in his trees, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that, I mean, that, that uh, you know, sometimes in, in our charismatic zeal, we think everything should happen immediately. And, and if it doesn't happen immediately, we think we have no faith. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, but Jesus kept working at it until it was fully manifested. And, um, well, yeah, I mean, he had plenty of faith, right? And, um, you know, that doesn't really tell us in the context of that story of why that he took, why he had to go through, you know, two sessions, right? To go through and spit on him and then, and then he could see men as trees and he laid hands on them again and, and then he was fully delivered. Um, yeah, and just, you know, from what I know of sickness and disease and the spirit realm, it's my, my suspicion and it's just my, my opinion is that in that case, just like with the madman of Gadara, that there was a demonic influence involved, uh, and de- uh, demons, like everybody else, are slow and, and don't want to do what they're told, uh, will yield eventually. They, they have to yield eventually, but, you know, they won't always yield eventually. I mean, they won't always yield immediately. And, and I suspect that there was a demonic uh, entity causing that particular sickness and disease, and, you know, Jesus had just had to outlast them from the standpoint of authority. Uh, because all all spirits will leave uh, under the authority, but you know sometimes they'll drag their heels. And the madman of Gadara, they were dragging their heels, right? Uh, and so that's my opinion. You know, I don't. Uh, that, that, all we know is that that it did take a couple of times, uh, and and you really have to be led of the Spirit of God to know, uh, because you know sometimes you pray for somebody and they don't get healed. Well, that could be on them, right? They could be, they could have some sin that they don't want to deal with, or there could be a lot of reasons why, right? And, and uh, following up folks like Les, uh, Lester Sumrall and, and Smith Wigglesworth and even Brother Hagen, you know, they'd pray for a thousand people in, in a prayer line, and some of the people, you know, wouldn't receive. And, and, you know, Brother Hagen said back in the day, he had, he could spend time with people, and he said one time he spent like two hours working with one person in a prayer line to get them healed, and they got healed. He said, you know, when, when you're praying for a 1,000 people, you can't spend two hours doing that, so you've got to hope that the person receiving is in faith to, to, to do that. So um, it wasn't on Jesus' part, right? He, he wasn't lacking in faith or power. Yeah, and so, uh, and if, I mean, even with the madman of Gadara, Jesus had the authority to cast the devil out, and yet the devil resisted him. And Jesus had to stay the course long enough to to uh, see it all the way through. Uh, and, uh, of course, for us, you know, uh, since we don't operate at the same level of anointing as Jesus, you know, sometimes we have to depend upon the faith of the receiving party uh, and where they're at because it's not just faith. Uh, you know, it could be sin, but it could just be a level of faith. And just like, you know, I've told you about the, the, the uh, they were praying for somebody and they said, you know, what do you, what do you want? You know, they were supposed to go have some surgery. And they said, well, I want the doctors to have, uh, to have wisdom. That was their faith. And the person praying for them said, no, no, we're going to pray that you don't even have to have the surgery. Well, the person receiving didn't have that level of faith. And so they were really usurping the will of the receiver by saying, no, shut up, you're wrong. You know, and, and I mean, that's really unkind to do that, but 
if that's where their faith was, you know, uh, and, it's, and it's the same thing in, in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus went to Nazareth, right? He could there do no mighty works. So my, uh, my review of those things tells me that if, there's a, if it's slow, it's usually on the receiving party, especially if it's Jesus ministering. There's no limit to his power, right? In fact, uh, John three thirty four said that Jesus had the spirit without measure. So we know there's no limit on the power of Jesus or the faith of Jesus, but there are limits on people. And it seems as though when, when there's limits on people that they will limit how much God can work in their life. We saw that with Mark chapter 6. Uh, the madman of Gadara, you know, he was fully possessed. Uh, and so, you know, he had just a glimmer of, of a spark of his will that showed up because it, uh, when Jesus showed up there, it says that he came and worshiped Jesus. So there was a spark of, of hope that the man could get out of it. But for the most part, he was fully possessed and, and, and his will was suppressed for the most part under the authority and, and the uh, leadership of the devil in that case. And so I think Jesus had to work with him in that case. That's probably the same situation it was with the blind man who had to pray for it twice. No reflection on Jesus, but it's, it's always a reflection on the receiver's part. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing I like about Jesus is he was 100% always right. He wasn't like, I mean, some people like, you can see men like trees, praise God, you know, uh, thank God for that. Like, Why would I thank God for that? I can't drive, can't work, can't, you know. I mean, I could see a blob over there. I couldn't see anything before, but now I can see blobs moving around. How is that, how is that, you know, I can't get excited about that. You know, I want to see everything. Uh, and so, uh, so Jesus, you know, he stuck with it to the very end, right? And, uh, and you know, just reading after some of some of our forefathers in faith, you know, they learned some of those things and, and they could work with people over time and get them to the point of that. But, you know, with, with Jesus, because of his level of ministry, you know, there was just faith in Jesus. And, and so, um, so, you know, I think in this case uh, that Paul was asking for the Lord to remove this persecution, um, you know, the, the Lord already, uh, in fact, we read this morning in John 16, 33, right, that in this, in this world you shall have tribulation, right, uh, which would include persecution. And Jesus never said you can pray to get away from that because uh, it goes back to what we talked about also earlier about, uh, you know, the Lord was going to send Paul to the world, right? Uh, and the Lord, and he, so, and he told Paul, he said, you're going to see uh, uh, how much things you're going to suffer. And it wasn't about the suffering of Paul. It was about, I need you to go talk to those people over there. They're going to treat you bad and say bad things about you, but, you know, you still need to go because nobody else is willing to go. You've got to go. Uh, and, you know, Jesus, everywhere he went, he suffered, didn't he? Everywhere he went, they, you know, he was, he was the perfect, kindest person in the world. They treated him like dirt everywhere he went. Now the, now, the common folks didn't treat him like that. They treated him like he was the Lord, like he was supposed to be treated. But the leadership, you know, are always mad at Jesus. Uh, and so everywhere you go, the, the, the more you walk in faith, everywhere you go, people are going to mistreat you. Uh, and, you know, you've you got to be okay with that because... I mean, if you're walking in faith, you get all the blessings of the Lord, right? I mean, what are, you, what are you lacking in if you have all the faith, right? And Paul had abundance of revelation. So what's the alternative? Be dumb as a brick and, and never be persecuted. I mean, which would you rather have? All the, uh, all the abundance of revelation and a little persecution or don't know anything? And, you know, I mean, people say ignorance is bliss. It's really not, you know. In fact, the Bible says my people perish for what? 
a lack of knowledge. So ignorance is not bliss, it's death, right? Uh, you know, it sounds good, ignorance is blessed. Well, that's good, that's good. Who, who wrote that? The devil wrote that phrase, you know. <laughs> God didn't write that phrase. He said the exact opposite is true. Uh, and so... Yeah. And that's what he... Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's... I think... <laughs> well, I mean, if you had a choice, right? If the Lord said, well, you know, today you can either go be treated badly and be spit upon or you can go, you know, have, you know, have an ice cream cone, you know, I mean, and it's your choice. You do whatever you want to. Well, who's going to, Lord, I want to be treated poorly. Nobody's going to pick that choice, right? Uh, and so, uh, but that gets into the, the very next verse there because Paul wanted three times and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, right? Uh, and in other words, uh, you know, I understand that you don't like this because nobody likes, except for the weird few people who love being a martyr, right? Oh, you know, I'm just a martyr for the Lord. You know, the people like that, they, you know, they're, they're tiring because you don't really like that. Nobody likes to be treated poorly, right? Uh, if, you got a, if you're a sane person, now some people just love to be treated poorly. And, and the thing is, uh, every relationship they have is bad, right? With their family, with their loved ones, with their spouse or, you know, whatever. They, they always seem to bring it upon themselves because they, they uh, and it's probably because they don't feel worthy to be ever treated good. Right? And, uh, but that's another whole discussion. Uh, but uh, in, every, uh, in every persecution, the grace of the Lord is there with you. And yeah, it's, it's not good that people treat you that way. But the thing about it is, if you're living in faith, as far as you're concerned, you can always stay healed. You can always stay full of joy. You can always stay uh, happy, right, and prosperous and, and uh, without depression and sadness. And, you know, uh, you can always stay that way regardless of the persecution. But in order to do that, you have to live in the grace of God. Uh, and so you, you've, if there's persecution coming into your life, then the only way to overcome that successfully is with the grace of God. Uh, and, and, you know, but, but I understand, you know, from a standpoint of the weariness of putting up with people always treating you poorly. You know, I can understand that Paul was like, well, you know, can I just get a day where somebody says, thanks, thank you, Paul? You know, it'd be nice for somebody to thank, say thank you, Paul, right? There were times when Paul was all alone. In fact, he said, everybody's left me. Uh, and this is the great apostle Paul, where he's, you know, now, thousands of people followed Jesus, but there was times when, when Paul was completely alone. Everybody had left him. Now, there's, you know, sometimes it was because he, he'd gone somewhere, I ain't going there, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, when it comes to persecution, the Lord never said that, that we can pray to get out of persecution. There's nowhere, no promise in the, in the New Testament we can pray to, to stop the persecution. Um, because if we're supposed to go somewhere, and, and really the persecution arises because God's will is for us to go and bring the good news to somebody. And that somebody may be an unkind person. Or the people around that somebody might be unkind people. You know, there were times when Paul would go speak to somebody, like a governor. And other people would try to dissuade the governor. Remember one time Paul said, you know, you're not going to see for a few days. Uh, and the, the pen walked off blind, right? Because he was interfering with Paul preaching the gospel. Uh, and so, uh, but in this case, uh, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, and, and then, uh, so that's all the Lord said. And Paul said, okay, all right. He, uh, then he got the, he got the you know, 
apparently the Lord waited for him to say three times, to ask three times for it to be removed before the Lord answered him. And, you know, sometimes the Lord will delay an answer if your question is not of faith. You know, uh, Paul knew that persecution is going to arise immediately for the word's sake because that the Lord had said those words, right? And the Lord had even told uh, Ananias to go tell Paul that, that you're going to see how much things you're going to have to suffer for my, for, my, for my name's sake. So Paul knew that suffering was part of his ministry, not because the Lord wanted Paul to suffer. The Lord, uh, suffering was necessary for Paul to go and bring the gospel to the people. That's, the, that's why suffering was necessary. Uh, and people said, well, I'm suffering for the Lord. Where are you suffering for? In bed. Nobody's suffering for the Lord in bed. Uh, the only time you're going to suffer for the Lord is when you're bringing the gospel to people. Uh, and so, because people love to, you know, well, why are you, why are you suffering in bed? You know, well, I just don't feel like getting up. Well, that's just, you know, uh, th- there's no examples of that in the word of God that, you know, uh, that's going to happen. But my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, be satisfied with the power that I've given you because the grace of God is God's power working in you to accomplish his will in the earth. Uh, and if his will is for you to go to that group of people over there and bring the gospel to them, then his grace is there to, for you to go there. Uh, even if they treat you poorly, even, if, you know, you, you ought to go read the stories of John Wesley. He'd walk into a city and they'd throw tomatoes at him and stone him and cuss him. And, you know, John Wesley, right? Now, John, if you read, John Wesley was a man. I mean, he just, he'd, you know, he'd take it all. Right. Even his wife treated him uh, like the devil. You know, in fact, I think he said something about he was married to the devil's sister uh, and and, uh, and she treated him bad all his life. All the you know, but he never left her. She she never went to his services. She never supported his ministry. And he was one of the greatest preachers of his time. I mean, I think they said 10,000 hours on a horseback preaching. Uh, I mean, you you go ride 10,000 hours on a horseback, you know, you're going to walk a little crook legged. Right. Uh, And so. Uh, but he would travel all over the place, and it, people treated him bad. Uh, he was preaching in his dad's church. They threw him out of the church. He went on the stump outside the, in the yard and preached out there. Uh, and so, you know, uh, and he was okay with that. And he, and he knew that the grace of God was there for him to do his job because people needed to hear. And, yeah, maybe only 1% of the people heard the gospel, and the other 99 were mad at him. You know, we read, going back to the story there at Lystra, how they tried to worship Paul. And then two verses later, they were stoning Paul to death. And it's how quickly people can change, right? I mean, one minute they love you, and the next minute they're shooting you. And it's like, well, well we want the people that were here before, right? We don't want these other new people. We want the original people, right? Uh, and so uh, it, it's uh, uh, the grace of God is there for you to do the will of God. And the Lord will, on occasion, send you to places that, are, that uh, people don't like you. Not because he's trying to teach you. And people always, we're so selfish. We think it's all about us. Lord, you just want me to suffer to teach me humility. No, that would mean the Lord's crazy. The Lord loves them enough to send somebody on their behalf, to let them hear the gospel, to give them an opportunity to say yes or no. And because he loves them that much, he will use you if you're man enough to go. And yeah, you may have to suffer, but they get to hear the gospel. That's the whole goal of it, right? Is that the people receiving you People hearing you get to hear the gospel and maybe they throw you out and persecute you on the way out the door. But you can walk out and say, but the Lord loved them enough to send me to him. And that's really if you really understand the love of God, then you understand why it's necessary for Christians to suffer persecution because God loves everybody. And 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 some people, you know, they all, well, I only want to, uh, you know, I don't want to go preach to rich people, you know. But then I've heard people say, you know, you should only go to the poor. Well, that's really bigoted, right? Because don't rich people need God? 
doesn't God love the rich people? He does, right? If you, if you limit who you preach to by any natural measurement, you are a bigot, right? Well, I only preach to poor people. Well, you know, I had somebody come to me one time and said, well, the Bible says that, you know, blessed be the poor. So we should only pre- uh, preach to the poor. Well, it does say that in, in Luke, but if you go to, to Matthew's version of that, it says blessed be the poor in what? Spirit, right? So they're just picking and choosing. You know, they're just making up doctrine because it doesn't say blessed be the poor in the bank account. It's blessed be the poor in spirit. In other words, those who understand that in and of themselves they're they are unworthy to receive heaven uh, and they need God in their life. That's what a poor in spirit person knows, right? Uh, and so, uh, but people just make up doctrine because it, 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 uh, they'll just pick and choose verses because they already have a conclusion that God only loves poor people. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say for God so love the poor people of the world that he sent his only begotten son. It said God so love who? The whole world. You know, that includes rich people. It includes, I know this is unusual, but middle class people, right? Just, you know, uh, just people who just, you know, got a nice small house, white picket fence, one dog, two cats, you know, uh, middle, middle income people. He loves them too, right? It's not just poor and decrepit, you know, people on welfare and don't have any money. Not, God loves them, obviously, you know, but he loves everybody. Uh, and he will send you to people uh, that sometimes will reject you. Didn't he say, uh, if they reject you, to, to do what uh, as you walk out? To uh, brush the dust off your feet, right? Well, didn't he know before you went there that, that they, they were going to reject you? Yeah, he still sent you, though. And yeah, sometimes you do have to brush the dust off your feet and say, well, they are not going to receive the Lord. And, and this may be their last chance, right? They may never get a chance. Yeah, you know, I remember one time that uh, the Lord, I, I was just witnessing to a fellow one time. And I just rose up in my heart and I said, look, this, you don't understand how important it is for you at this moment in time. I just knew in my heart that it was so important for this person. I said, you need to be at church on Sunday. And you need to, you need to come and hear the word of God. Uh, and, 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 you know, and I don't like saying, I didn't say thus saith the Lord, but I just, I just was just, uh, just really emphasizing it's really important for you to come. And, of course, he didn't come, right? Uh, and, and I believe that for that person, it was, it was a pivotal moment in their life where they're at a crossroads, that if they, if they came to the Lord, all would be well. If they, go, if they missed that window of opportunity, remember Jesus said that they, they missed the time of their visitation, right? They did not recognize their time of their visitation. And there are moments in time when the Lord knows that that, that person's life, they need the gospel preached to them right now by this person. And yeah, they may, re- they may reject this person, but this is their moment of, of opportunity to accept the Lord. And, and the person going to do, doing the preaching may have to suffer uh, in order to bring that message to them. Uh, and, you know, in this case, the, uh, what, it, what uh, it seems to imply is that uh, there was some person who was constantly ragging on Paul everywhere he went. Because there were some cases, right? Remember the woman there in Acts 16, right? Who had the spirit of, of, uh, of divinity there. Um, and, and um, or not divinity, but um, divination, right? <laughs> not divinity is yeah. the, other, the other D word, right? Uh, divination. Uh, and and uh, uh, it's there, the, the Greek word is the python spirit. So she like snakes, I guess. Uh, and so, uh, but she, for many days, right? She followed after Paul. Uh, and Paul didn't do anything about it. Well, why didn't Paul do anything about it? He didn't have, because casting out spirits requires special faith. And special faith is only given uh, as the spirit wills. It's not something you just conjure up. Now, regular faith, we all have regular faith, but special faith is the gift of the spirit from 1 Corinthians 12. And you can't just cast the spirit out just because you feel like it. Because number one, 
what's the person on the on the receiving end? Do they want to get rid of that spirit? You know, if they can't, if they don't want to get rid of that spirit, it's not a good idea to cast the spirit out because uh, Jesus said in Matthew 12 that if you cast the spirit out, he's going to go out in dry places, right? Wandering around, you know, uh, seeking rest and finding none. He's going to come back and bring seven more spirits. And he said the person at the end of that is worse off, seven times worse off than they were before you delivered them. So, uh, you know, some people say you can't cast the devil out if the person doesn't want it to leave. I don't know that it's technically true. I think it, technically it, it's true that you could if you wanted to, if the Lord gave you the unction to do it. But if the person doesn't want that spirit to leave, they will welcome him back with seven worse friends. That's really the issue, right? So if you care about people, you don't cast the devil out until the person wants the devil cast out. Uh, and that's really the, the, the most accurate doctrine that you can be as far as casting out devils, right? And so... Yeah. <laughs> Devil training. They said always ask the person, well, even before you do it. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, every, every case is different, and, and I, I don't like to put constraints in the Lord that it has to be done a certain way, and it's always best to be led by the Spirit of God in those cases. You know, what does this person need? You know, how do you do it? Because sometimes it's authority. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, where the devil has, has consumed their physical body so much that they can't hear the gospel, and, you know, shouting in the ear may be sufficient, right? Maybe what they need in that moment. Uh, and so, you know, I don't have, as far as, Here's the rules and regulations. It's, it's be led by the Spirit of God. It's because you see how Jesus ministered. is very wide range, you know, spitting on people sometimes and then, you know, just speaking to some people sometimes and having them go see a priest sometimes in very different ways of ministering with Jesus. And so, uh, uh, but, but Jesus did respond to Paul, but not the first time he asked, not the second time he asked, but the third time Paul asked, uh, Jesus did respond. Uh, and so, you know, if... If the Lord doesn't respond one time, you know, it's it just like with the woman, the Syrophoenician woman there, right? Uh, where, where she asked of Jesus, and what did he say the first time? Nothing. said he did not respond to her at all, right? Uh, and there is an aspect of Jesus that it seems like uh, sometimes he's waiting to see how much faith you've got. You know, how much stick to you've got, right? How bad do you really want it? Uh, now, I don't know if that's always the case when... when um, uh, I do know if you're asking for Lord, you know, why didn't you heal me? He will never answer that question because that's an accusation against the Lord that that is not accurate, right? But there's no accusation against the Lord. Uh, he just asked the Lord to, to uh, have this thing depart from him, uh, and so the Lord did. Uh, the Lord did respond to him, 
and my strength of supernatural, the word strength there is dunamis, right? Supernatural miracle work and power of God. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, and so that word weakness there is identically the same Greek word as infirmities that we read in the second half of the verse. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in both cases, weakness and infirmities, there's the same Greek word. In both cases, uh, uh, where he said my strength and power, that's the same Greek word for dunamis as well. Uh, so, he, uh, and I don't know why the translations decided to use two different words in both cases for these things. They, it seemed like it would have been flowed better if they'd used the same word in both cases. It doesn't change anything, but... Uh, so Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So now that now if you go through and look at the word infirmities through the New Testament and find out where it's used, it's used a bunch of different times in the New Testament. And and um, and, and so what time we got we got we got enough time there. Uh, let's just look at two different. Cases. So the context of this doesn't tell us if it's sickness or disease. So let's see if the word infirmity is used in any cases other than sickness and disease. So we're there in 2 Corinthians. Let's look at Romans chapter. We're going to look at two verses. Romans chapter 6. And then we'll look at Hebrews chapter 4. And then we'll look at one other case after that. In Romans chapter 6. Uh, he starts in verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Which is delivered to you. So, uh, so he's talking about these people, these Romans that he wrote this letter to, at one point in time, they were servants of sin, right? They, they served sin prior to being born again. Uh, but now they have been delivered because of the doctrine that was given to them. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So the context of this is sin, right? The context of this is living in sin. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto, unto holiness. So he uses the word infirmity, that same, it's the exact same Greek word as found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But in the context, when he says infirmity of your flesh, he's not, is he talking about sickness and disease or is he talking about weaknesses of the flesh? You know, I just, I get mad all the time, right? Well, that's a weakness of the flesh. I got to eat all the donuts all the time. That's a weakness of the flesh. I just can't stand, you know, them every time they leave their, their socks in the, in the living room. You know, I just can't stand that. Uh, well, that's a weakness of the flesh, right? Uh, you know, and uh, uh, Chris has prayed for a long time, you know, that uh, the Lord take this away, infirmity from her three different times. And, and the Lord's not yet responded because there's still probably socks in the living room, right? Uh, and so... Uh, so the, the infirmity that he's talking about here is weakness of the flesh. When, when you're, uh, remember what Jesus said, the spirit is, is, uh, this, uh, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Uh, and so the, the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Because of the infirmities. In other words, you yield, you have a hard time not yielding to your flesh. Well, welcome to the human race, right? I mean, the human race, how, how many times? In fact, we're there in chapter six. He says, uh, Right over there in chapter 7, verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. So Paul, what's Paul saying? I have weakness of the flesh. Now we don't know the, from the context of this, we don't know what, what the specifics of Paul's weaknesses were. But he's, he's clearly talking about weaknesses of the flesh in Romans chapter 7. That, that he wants to do right, he's not doing right. He doesn't want to do this thing that's wrong, whatever that is. But he keeps doing that thing that's wrong. Well, that's an infirmity. That's a weakness of the flesh. So it's got nothing to do with sickness and disease. 
it's got to do with, with, with the weakness of the flesh. Uh, and, and we're there in Romans chapter uh, uh, 6 there. Uh, turn over to Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 4. I think we have time to finish this up here. So in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, of course we could read a lot of verses in Hebrews chapter 4. It's, let's just start in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So uh, when Jesus was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, how many times was Jesus ever sick? He was never sick. But how many times did Jesus suffer the same persecution that caused us to fall and yield sometimes? Uh, all the time, right? So he was never talking about, well, you know, you know, I'm just like you. I'm sick just like you are, right? I'm touched, you know, I, I understand your sicknesses. That's not what he's talking about, right? Jesus was never sick. So Jesus, but Jesus did suffer in the same way that we have suffered uh, as far as being tempted, right? Uh, yet without sin, because the, the, the weakness of the flesh, he had the same weakness of the flesh that when somebody came against him, you know, and of course, he's the son of God. He could have just uh, even pushed a little red button and they're gone. I just zapped them and they're out of history. Uh, and, and so really what, what uh, verse 15 is telling me is Jesus, you know, there was times when Jesus wanted to push the little red button. You ever wanted to push the little red button, you know, and zap your enemy, zap somebody who's unkind to you, right? Have the earth swallow him. And, and yet he resisted that, didn't he? Why? Because the love of God in him wouldn't let him do it. But, but he still had a desire to do that. Remember, I mean, you go all the way, all the way through to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that he sweat great drops of blood? And doctors will tell you that that's a real thing, that you could actually, if you're under so much emotional stress, that he said his soul suffered even to the point of what? Death, right? That he, would, they, he almost died under the stress of knowing that he's going to have to go to the cross and separate for the first time in eternity the presence of God. That's really what they put the stress on him. It wasn't the cross and the physical uh, suffering that it was. It was for the first time in history because... If he knew that he was going to have to go to the cross and die and immediately go to the presence of God. I mean, all the apostles after Jesus welcomed it. You know, you want to kill me? Praise God, I get to go to heaven. I mean, you know, they're like, no problem at all. You know, they didn't have to be separated from God after they died. They get to go to see God. Uh, Paul said that uh, I'm stuck between two choices, right? Uh, to, to, to die is gain. But to, but to stay is to your benefit, right? So, I mean, he, to him, it was, you know, I mean, it's a 50-50 choice. For Jesus, it was a zero, 100% choice. Zero, I want to go to the cross and be separated from God the Father, 100%, you know, to, to stay alive and, and stay in the presence of God. And so he was under, that, that's why he put under such uh, great emotional stress. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus said, nevertheless, not what? Not my will. So there were times when, when Jesus had a desire to do something that was not exactly what the Father God wanted him to do. Now, that's, that's the weakness of the flesh, right? That's when the flesh wants to do something that God doesn't want to do. And so that's not the issue. The issue is, what do you do then? The issue is, which way do you go? And, of course, Jesus went the right. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, right? He said, well, I'm going to do what you want me to do anyway, Lord. Even though I don't want to, there's part of me who doesn't want to be separated from you. But because you want me to, I'll be glad to do it, you know? Uh, and, so, and so he moved his will to line up with the will of God. And that's really how you overcome the weakness of the flesh is you change your will. Instead of just suppressing your will or 
playing psychological games, you move your will like Jesus did, and you move it to line up with, with the will of God. Uh, but see, so Jesus was this word infirmity here, same exact Greek word in Hebrews chapter four uh, was uh, was not used in the context of sickness and disease. It was used in the context of my flesh wants to do something, but it's not what God wants me to do. Uh, and it says and it says right there he was tempted in all points uh, like unto men. Right. And we know the, the three there's only three temptations. Right. Lust of flesh, lust of the eyes and pride of life. Every temptation falls into those one of those three categories. Was Jesus tempted by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life? Sure, you go through the, you go through the, uh, uh, the temptation in wilderness. How many temptations were there? Exactly three, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. We don't have time to go into all of those things. But he was tempted to, to yield in all of those things. Uh, and, and most of these things were really, uh, uh, um, uh, well, we won't go into all of those things there because uh, we have to go back to, the, to Luke chapter 4 and go through all the temptations. So, but he was tempted in lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And so he had to uh, recognize that and recognize that, that in that moment he, w- he wanted to do something that wasn't what he should have done. And, and it says, uh, yet without sin. So every single time, which decision, which way did Jesus go? With the flesh or with the spirit? He always went with the spirit, right? So he was tempted just like you were. Because it had to be a real temptation. If, it, if, if Jesus was incapable of sinning, then there's no real temptation for Jesus, right? I don't have the capacity to sin. Well, then there's no temptation for you. So did Jesus have the capacity to sin? Could he have walked away from the Lord? Well, he could because he was tempted, right? Uh, I mean, it's just like, you know, nobody tempts me with, with, uh, uh, with, with liver and onions. I don't have to go, oh, you know, I've got to resist. I mean, it's not a temptation. I don't like liver and onions, right? Nobody tempts me with cooked broccoli. It's like, you know, I just know that. I don't like cooked broccoli, so it's not even a temptation, right? Uh, and, and so it had to be a real temptation. It had to be something that Jesus could have done for it to be a real temptation, right? And if you look at the, the, the uh, uh, temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, they were all things that Jesus could have done. So, uh, so those are just two examples where the word infirmity was not used in the context of, of, of sickness and disease, but it was used in the context of, you know, I want to do this, but I shouldn't do that. And if you go back with Paul and you look at the context of the infirmities there in a context of, you know, this person is persecuting me. I'm just going to bite their little head off. You ever want to bite somebody's head off? Somebody says something unkind to you. Oh, yeah. Well, your mama. Right. You ever wanted to re- respond to somebody in kind ways. Right. Return evil for evil. Uh, well, that's the weakness of the flesh that Paul had to deal with. Uh, and, and I'm sure because who he was, he didn't, he didn't want to spend time dealing with this person being being unkind to him. He hadn't done anything to him, I'm sure. Uh, and so. Uh, now we can go back over to, to Luke chapter 13. And in Luke chapter uh, 13, it says in verse 10, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift, herself, lift up herself. Uh, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmities. And he laid hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And so in the context of Luke chapter 13, uh, the spirit infirmity was what? It was sickness and disease, right? Uh, she was bent over. She couldn't stand up straight. Uh, and, and so he, he cast that. In this case, there was a, sp- a spiritual uh, entity assigned to the sickness and disease, right? That's not always the case. But in this case, there was a spirit of infirmity. So a spirit of sickness and disease 
that had attacked this woman's body. Uh, and yet, in this case, uh, how did he get her delivered? Did he cast the devil out? No, he laid hands on her, right? And immediately she was made straight. So even if you know there's a devil causing sickness and disease, do you need to cast the devil out? Uh, the thing is, we, we don't make a rule, right? Well, you always cast the devil out if there's a devil. No, Jesus didn't cast the devil out here, right? No, nothing, no casting out here at all, right? He just laid hands on her, and the power of God pushed that devil out of her body, right? Uh, and, and said, no, there's only room for one of us in here, and you've got to go. Uh, and so... Again, we don't make rules. So even if we know there's a demonic presence there, even if we know by the, by the um, discerning of spirits that, it, that there's a demonic presence causing the sickness and disease, that doesn't immediately mean that you cast the devil out. You wait on the Lord. The Lord, you, you want to cast the devil out, just lay hands on her. He may say, just lay hands on her. Uh, and, and why is that? I don't know. Just, you know why did the Lord not cast us out instead of just lay hands on her? I don't know. You know? Uh, the, what, what I observe from these things is I'm not going to make a law. Every time there's a devil, you've got to cast the devil out, right? And they've got to spit up and throw up or something before it's, it's really true, right? Uh, that's where we get into church theater and get, get uh, outside the will of God. Uh, in this case, we knew that there was a spirit that was causing her sickness and disease, and Jesus simply laid hands on her, and that was sufficient, amen? Uh, you remember in Acts chapter 19 where it says that, that uh, aprons and handkerchiefs were taken from Paul's, Paul's body, uh, and sent to people, uh, and they were healed, and if there was demonic spirits, that they, they left them. No casting out of devils, no name of Jesus, just a cloth, right? So a cloth was sufficient to provide deliverance from demonic spirits, right? So again, we don't, we don't make laws, right? Uh, now, look, there's demonic spirit, and you know, you sense you've got to ca- cast the thing out, right? No big deal. Uh, and so, so the, the point of this discussion is the word infirmity doesn't always mean sickness and disease. So if you, if you read that and it's not clear from the context, Luke chapter 13, pretty clear from the context that it's talking about sickness and disease. Romans chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 4, pretty clear from the context of both of those that neither one of them is talking about sickness and disease. You get to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's pretty clear that it's not talking about sickness and disease, but even if you think it might be, since it could be used in other cases, you need to, to expand your studies, right? And so that's the whole point of this discussion is that, uh, that the word infirmity doesn't automatically mean a sickness and disease. It means a weakness, right? Uh, now, she was weak. She had a spirit of infirmity. In fact, the Lord, I prayed for one person one time, and he told me that they have a spirit of infirmity, that they're always weak. They were just, and, and you know, and, and not just weak, but a uh, weak immune system, right? Just everything came along, they always got it, right? I mean, if anybody had anything, they always got the same thing. And some people kind of like that, right? It gives them a little tension. Oh, my life is so hard. Uh, and, and so they, they did need to deal with a little bit of getting their mind renewed about how they don't have to be a martyr and be the sick person all the time. Uh, and so there is some of that that you've got to deal with sometimes. Uh, and so, so uh, does the word infirmity always mean sickness and disease? No. Uh, we, we read the exact, and you, can go, you don't have to believe me, just go back and look, you know, pull up a computer, click on those verses and see what the Greek word is used for those. You'll find it, it's always the same Greek word there in the examples that we used. Uh, and that it, it means, if you look at the Greek definition uh, of that from, from uh, W.E. Vine's uh, Expository Dictionary, uh, he talks about how it can mean both physical sickness but also uh, moral weakness, right? That you just, I just, you know, I just can't turn down money, right? I'm just, I'm just uh, pe- people offer me a dollar to do anything, I'll do it, right? Uh, well, that's a moral weakness, right? That's an infirmity. Uh, and so, so you can't, Judge uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 
by the simple definition of infirmity always means sickness because that's not always the case, right? Uh, and so, um, so we've still got a, a couple more things to talk about in this because um, I'm hoping that by the time we get this that, that you'll come to the conclusion that there's no way that 2 Corinthians 12 could possibly be talking about sickness and disease, right? Of course, I already know that just because I know God's good and doesn't even take uh, like five seconds to figure that out. But it's good to have the scriptural foundation for that as well. Amen. Uh, and look at these, uh, look at the context of everything. So, so we'll, we'll pick that up. Uh, and, and when we get done with this, then that'll be the end of the book, right? We'll get on to the next book and, and uh, see where the Lord would have us to go from there. And, um, uh, but, I, you know, I have been enjoying this because even, even some of these studies I was adding to some notes beyond what, uh, what uh, Brother Bosworth uh, gave to us, because I think it's helpful for us. Amen. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. Father, we thank you that you are our healer. Father, that you are a deliverer, that you speak to us, Father, that you remind us how good you are to us, Father, and that every example in the word of God, Father, when you were on the earth uh, preaching and healing and deli- delivering, every person that came to you, Father, left healed. They left delivered. Father, you sent no, no man or woman or child away, Father, in their sickness and disease. You always delivered and always healed, Father. And that's the example that you wanted to leave to us, that you were, you were the God who heals and the God who delivers. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Um, well, let's get ready to receive this afternoon's offering. And, um, uh, you know, I just, I just think this is good, so... Uh, I decided not to write my book on 2 Corinthians chapter 12 since Brother Bosworth already covered it 100 years ago. You know, like brand new revelation, you know. And then somebody go, uh, it's not really, it was 100 years ago, right? So, come ahead, Mr. Jared. I really wasn't planning on writing a book about that. But, uh, but it is funny sometimes. You, you, you get a revelation and think, nobody else has ever seen this before. And then, and then Lord, you know, I think the Lord's got a sense of humor that he'd be like, yeah, go read that book over there, you know. Well, that book, Lord, that's a 100-year-old book. There ain't no revelation in that book. And it's like the same thing he just told you yesterday, right? Uh, why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, sometimes that's good just to keep your pride in check, right? That uh, uh, the, Lord, you know, the Lord could have told me before I studied all that, well, Bosworth already covered that in his book. Go read his book, right? He could have done that, but no, you know. <laughs> you, uh, sometimes it's just good to learn uh, along the way like that. Amen? Uh, and so is the Lord our healer? Yeah. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, will you all be blessed. Have a wonderful week, Lord, and you're dismissed.